The Comic Book Time Machine, episode 123. DC Special presents Superheroes War Against the Monsters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Comic Book Time Machine. I'm Ben, Ben Avery. I'm a comic book writer, comic book fan, comic book reader, comic book collector, comic book time traveler. And boy, am I excited to read this comic book that I am holding in my hands right now, because if you want to talk about traveling through time, this comic book took me back, back, back in time. And here's the deal. Um, I'm not home right now. In fact, I'm a couple hours away from home and it's been a crazy two weeks. I'm not going to get into the full details, but basically my family volunteers at a, um, a camp, a family retreat for people affected by disability, families affected by disabilities. And we've done this every year for the last 11 years or so. And um, it's, it's great. Uh, we love doing it. It's very difficult work and it's very, very rewarding and very fun. But um, lately, with my other job, things have been kind of conflicting. It just created some crazy, wild scheduling things that are just, um, you know, back and forth between Indiana and Michigan over the the, the two weeks. And um, I was looking forward to this weekend, this past weekend, because it was going to be a different weekend. I all the back and forth was done. Finally, we were all going to be together one place. And then my wife, while I was in Indiana, was in the emergency room here in Michigan. And she went in and out and in and out because of an allergic reaction to something crazy. And uh, it was just rough. It was just a rough, rough time. And so um, I did get a moment, though, where I was able to stop by just briefly at a local comic shop here. And it was after all the craziness was done. And I was just, oh, you know what? I could really use a cool comic book. Uh, just a fun, you know, I, I was just hoping to find something fun. And if I didn't, I was fine with that. But um, I went in and they had just rows and rows and rows of $2 comic bins. And I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to, I'll take a peek. But um, I'm not going to, you know, hold my breath or I'll find anything worth my $2 because I didn't have any lists or anything. So it wasn't anything I was particularly looking for. Um, so, but I did find some cool stuff. And one th thing was DC comic presents. Um, these are the hundred page spectaculars. And this one was brightest day, hundred page spectacular. And that features uh, a lot with a uh, dead man. And um, it's just, I thought it was going to be some brightest day issues, but it looks like this came out around the same time as brightest day to kind of do some setup for, for dead man and, and the characters involved in that. Then there was Superman at earth's end an else world story that looks just really funky. Superman has this beard. He's an old, old, old man. He's just got these giant nineties muscles and he's got like this giant nineties gun. And, uh, I thought, Oh, I like else worlds. I'll give that a try. Two bucks. Can't, can't do too bad with that. Then there's DC comics presents Superman soul survivor. I had no idea what it was. Um, I honestly just picked it up. It was a hundred page spectacular again, a hundred pages, $2. I mean, cover price on this was $8. And so that's, that's good. And then I picked up one that I'm, I'm not sure uh, if Evan has this or not, but I know Evan loves Superman red and blue. And this one, I just couldn't turn it down. Uh, I'll probably look at this closer later, even if I do give it to him, but it's actually in, uh, it's polybagged and it's Superman red, Superman blue, number one. And it says by the Superman writers and artists. So I'm assuming there might be some like, bonus stories or you know, multiple stories in there. Um, but what makes it funky is that, uh, you know, going along with the red and the blue, this cover is in 3d. And, and I said it was polybagged and that's because there's actually a second comic in here and there are 3d glasses. And so uh, I know Evan loves Superman red and blue. Um, but I might have to open this up before I maybe pass this off to him because on the back then, I mean, there's two comics in here. It says printed and packaged in Canada. Uh, by the way, plastic bags can be dangerous to avoid dangerous suffocation. Keep this bag away from babies and children. But there is an old school Superman looking comic book. Uh, it's three dimension adventures, Superman in startling 3d lifelike action super glasses inside and so i don't know the deal behind this comic this i think this comic probably deserves its own episode um and so maybe i'll do a comic book time machine episode of this comic and then pass it off or maybe um 
maybe Evan doesn't listen to this, <laughs> uh, Evan being my uh, podcasting partner from Strangers and Aliens. But no, this episode, though, is about DC Special Presents Superheroes War Against the Monsters. And this was one of those that I found. And th- this, I, I couldn't believe that it was there. This is the first thing that caught my eye as I was just started, you know, looking at some of these long boxes. And um, by the way, I really appreciated that this comic shop had uh, very organized long boxes, even though they were, you know, bargain bargain bins. Um, but uh, I just started flipping through one one of the bins, and sure, there it was. And this comic is from my childhood, and so when I say this is a very special comic it really really is and it really sent me on a on a time trip back in time I, I remember buying this comic at the mall in north bay ontario i remember going and walking down the hall and uh and there was a bookstore you know well, the hall or whatever you call it but um there's a bookstore i went into the bookstore and there is this big square bin and i don't know how big it was i mean maybe it was bigger in my memory because i was a little kid but um there's just comics just stacked in there. And when I say stacked, I mean, just kind of in a pile in a pile, not stacked in piles, but in a pile. And I looked through this stack of comics and I don't remember any other comic that was in the bin, but I do remember vividly this one catching my eye. Um, and my parents buying it for me. Now this comic is 50 cents. Um, and it's from 1978, I believe when I open it up, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll have the date for you. But, um, I remember this caught my eye because there's just so much going on on this cover and there's four squares of artwork and one square says Superman trapped by the super creatures and there's Superman on a web and he can't pull away and the spider is crawling toward him on the web. But there's also a long nosed mosquito um, piercing Superman's um, costume and, and tearing it and. Then there's Green Lantern versus the Leap Year Menace, and it's Green Lantern, and there's this giant green monster that's attacking a city and, and picking up tanks, and um, the green monster is wearing these red trunks, but it's kind of this troll kind of creature with with sideburns and pointy ears. And um, and then there's the world's mightiest family battles three evils, and there's three evils that are these kind of wolfman-looking creatures pushing their way up uh, through the rock, through a rock. And it's the, the rock of eternity. We'll find out when we get into the story. But um, Captain Marvel, Mary Marvel, and Captain Marvel Jr. are all flying toward these three creatures. And uh, then there's, can humans win the war that time forgot? And there's two guys, two uh, World War II soldiers shooting at a T-Rex kind of creature. It's not a T-Rex because that thing has some huge forearms. Um, if it is a T-Rex, this is a T-Rex that, um, uh, not only went to the gym to work out, but also had some sort of, um, arm lengthening operation or something. But, um, this just monstrous creatures on the front of this comic. And I remember this just sticking out to me and just think, oh my goodness, this is so cool. It's so amazing. And so I was five or six. I didn't, I'm pretty sure I didn't buy this the year it came out. I'm pretty sure it was around 1980 when I was a little bit older because um, just the vivid memory I have of reading it uh, as soon as I got it. But, um, you know, it's 50 cents and it has a uh, square binding. It was the first uh, perfect binding comic that I ever had. And, oh, man, the memories, the memories. And this just took me back. And so here's, I mean, just without reading this comic, here's my, my impressions that I remember from this. Cause I, I read this dozens and dozens of times over the years. In fact, this cover, um, does not exist on my copy that I had. I remember actually having to fix this with uh, packing tape. I lost the cover. And so I, I ended up taping the spine with packing tape so it wouldn't fall apart more. Um, and I don't know if I still have this in my collection. I do not recall seeing it in my, my boxes of, of the really, really old stuff from when I was a kid. And so I went ahead and I purchased this for two bucks and I'm going to read it now. And I'm going to kind of read this in the same way I do, um, a, uh, a grab bag where I'm going to read each story and play, a a, a, a promotional, um, sounder for a couple different podcasts while I read this and then come back and talk about it. But first, before I do get into it, uh, my vague impressions that I remember, um, I remember the Superman one being kind of terrifying, and I don't remember why, but I remember just being unsettled by the Superman one. I remember the Green Lantern one, even at a young age, probably not when I bought it, but I do remember sitting down and reading this uh, maybe in fourth or fifth grade and just thinking to myself, this is, 
this isn't right. Um, <laughs> Green Lantern's kind of a jerk here, and uh, he's kind of a uh, a sexist jerk, um, honestly. And um, I'll we'll see if that memory holds up. But I, I just remember him treating not treating his girlfriend very good in this. Um, the monster, if I remember correctly, is actually created by him. Um, but that's yeah. <laughs> the um, the Marvel family versus the three evils. I remember really really liking that one, and I I don't remember exactly why, other than just it was interesting. And, you know, these were characters, I mean, Superman, I knew because of Superman, the movie, super friends cartoons. And I had some Superman comics, green lantern. I knew because of super friends and maybe like, um, Twinkie ads, but I wasn't real familiar with, with green lantern, uh, captain Marvel. I knew because of the Shazam, uh, TV show. And, um, so this really expanded just the mythology of, of Captain Marvel for me for the first time. I didn't really realize who these people were and that there was, you know, more than one. And the idea of the, the family, um, you know, all I knew of was like Superman and Supergirl, Batman and Robin. Um, but this was, you know, a tighter uh, actual family and um, just this kind of expanded that for me. And then the soldiers versus dinosaurs. I mean, this was clearly my first time being exposed to that kind of thing, but boy, oh boy, I loved this story, but I also remember it being a little unsettling as well and not having a happy ending. And you know, that's good. I think it's good for kids to have things that don't wrap themselves up in a tight, nice, tidy bow. Um, but this one, I think went a little bit further <laughs> as far as like the nihilism behind it. But, uh, um, I found it really just exciting and interesting and then um, a downer of an ending. So we'll see if these hold up and let's see how my impressions remain. But um, that's the impressions I had of this comic. And I was so excited to see this just randomly in the store. And it was just what I needed. You know, I just was looking for something fun and something interesting. And I was maybe, I, I don't know what I was expecting or hoping for, but I wasn't expecting this. And uh, it was perfect. You know, an answer to prayer, as they say. So, yes, DC Special presents Superheroes War Against the Monster. And I'm going to read the first story, which I can't remember if it goes in this order in the comic. I don't think it does. I think it ends with the Shazam family. Um, but we'll see. Uh, but I'm, I know it opens with Superman because I remember the splash page uh, being what stood for the cover uh, after I lost the cover. So Superman trapped by the super creatures after this. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. So the story that I just read is a reprint from Action Comics number 326, and it is written by Otto Binder, and the art is Kurt Swan and George Klein. And the thing I remember about it being terrifying, I think it's from the first page, where you've got uh, Superman being uh, attacked by a bunch of kind of, I don't know, leafy ant creatures with eight legs, and they are clamping on with their jaws onto his costume. They're not hurting him, but his face, he looks terrified. And the landscape behind him is just this desolate landscape where the, the buildings are being just eaten by these creatures. And his face, I mean, he's, he looks terrified. Um, and he's saying, great Scott, these army insects eat steel, stone, everything in their path. And I can't even pull loose from them and fly away. They're super, super creatures. Um, and it says one fateful day, the man of steel finds himself helpless when alien monsters invade earth. How can these fantastic creatures display greater superpowers than those of Superman yet not be from the planet Krypton? And how can earth be saved from these awesome invaders? This is the unbelievable crisis faced by the man of steel when he meets the legion of super creatures. And yeah, so the story itself, um, it has moments of brilliance and moments of ridiculousness, which I think is probably what you would expect from, uh, comic book from uh auto binder but um 
Yeah, uh, it starts out with Superman going water skiing uh, as Clark Kent with Lois Lane, and there's a monster that someone yells about, the, and the boat runs out of gas just as the people see a sea serpent, and so Lois jumps out of the boat, swim for sure, and Superman, Clark Kent, uses his breath to push the boat away from her so he can get far enough away to change into his Superman outfit to go and find this creature, which is this sea serpent-y uh, rattlesnake kind of thing, and he can't defeat it and he has to leave it and they have to close down the lake and then uh the next day over the wire uh in you know the, the offices of the daily planet there's rumor of a, a flying creature and it's this, the mosquito that i was kind of talking about from the the cover image uh but it's not a mosquito nose that sucks blood it's a it's like a swordfish nose that cuts costumes and um one other thing, though, is it's like sawing a plane in half that's in flight. And so Superman comes and uses his heat vision to um, mend the plane in flight. I mean, he, this guy's good. This guy is good. It is flight worthy when he is done with it and it continues on its way. Um, but he can't stop this uh, mosquito swordfish creature and it flies away. And so now that's two creatures that he's just let escape because he can't defeat them. And. And then the next day, uh, just outside the Daily Planet, there's a spider web that goes between the two buildings uh, across the street. And um, there's a spider in it. And Superman tries to destroy it. And he flies right into it. And he can't. Be, and he gets caught by the web. And he's stuck. What's he going to do? Oh, a spider's coming. And then he looks up. And there's the the uh, swordfish monster that's coming at him as well. And the swordfish monster just happens to strike in the spot where he needs to cut the web so that Superman can get away. And then come the insects that we saw before. And uh, I remember this detail. This is a really fun detail. Uh, great stars. It's an army, all right, but of alien insects. The advanced scouts are red, the captain's yellow, and the troops green. And so that's uh, Superman's analysis of this. And they are destroying Metropolis. I mean, the, the next panel is literally that um, image of destruction, just a, a wasteland that they are leaving behind them as the people are running away. And they are, they are devouring everything. And so he flies in there and he thinks they're small. I can punch them and he can't. And they clamp onto his costume and he flies into the sun to get rid of them. And they, they stay stuck because they are as powerful, if not more powerful than him. But he's thinking at this point that these are creatures from Krypton and he doesn't know what he's going to do about this. Uh, fortunately, um, when he lands back on earth, it's sundown. And so they all fall asleep. <laughs> So that gives them a little bit of a respite and some time to figure out what to do about them. And he goes to the, uh, his fortress of solitude and, um, nothing is working. You've got the, the Navy is fighting the snake creature. You, the, the air force is fighting the, the insects. Um, the army with tanks are fighting, uh, the spider and nothing is working. And they even drop an H bomb. <laughs> they drop an H bomb on what is assumed to be metropolis. And there's a picture of it right there, mushroom cloud, middle of the city. Um, and I assume it's Metropolis because that's the city he was in when he was fighting them. But maybe it's something different. I don't know. They drop an H-bomb on American soil and it's not even, it doesn't even get its own panel. It gets an image of one of four images in a panel on a view screen that Superman's looking at. Uh, so the plan then changes when the A-bomb doesn't work or the H-bomb rather. They're going to drop a K-bomb on these things because these must be from Krypton. And so they drop kryptonite bombs on the creatures and the kryptonite, bi kryptonite, bi eh, kryptonite bombs don't work. He goes to send them to the phantom zone and that does not work. And then Superman sees this giant spherical spaceship that seems to be some sort of arc um, that probably carried the creatures there. He gets on it and it, closes behind him, the door closes behind him and takes him to another planet, a planet called Gigantia. And so it's got a red sun. It has really, really strong gravity. And it also has all those creatures that he saw on earth. And so this is the, the explanation. So I'm going to be reading some dialogue for Superman and from some aliens that he finds when he, he gets to a, a cavern where, um, well, I'll let Superman explain. Ah, this seems to be a gravity neutralizer platform. I can stand up right now. Those aliens are radiating telepathic speech. Their salutation, it's unbelievable. And here's their salutation. Hail death all over the universe. Hail to death. Superman approaches to them and they explain. We were expecting you, Superman of Earth. Hearken to our story. All life on our own native world was wiped out by a space blight. 
Only a few of us escaped death and came to this leper world of Gigantia, which is shunned because of the terrible monsters which inhabit it, to carry out a solemn vow. Our civilization died, so we hereby pledge to bring death to one hundred other worlds. Hail death! A hundred times, we lured monsters aboard our space ark and set the automatic controls. Death to the 88th world. It has a yellow sun where the monsters will be super powerful and wipe out their population completely. Hail death. And so that's their story. It's like the anti-Noah's Ark of space. They're not just trying, you know, they're not getting two by two, collecting animals and, and then bringing them to this world after, you know, before those other worlds destroy are destroyed. No, no, no. They are intentionally sending animals on their ark to other worlds to destroy the other worlds, which when you think about it, kind of clever. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, as the aliens begin their strange rites, because they are, um, our death vow is fulfilled with your world, Superman, and now you two will join us as we meet death by blowing up this planet. I'll pull the switch after a final ceremony in honor of death. And so as they do that ceremony, Superman sneaks away. They're too busy to notice him. He gets back on the ship, and the ship flies into space, and the planet explodes behind him. He arrives on Earth and looks on Earth, and suddenly all those monsters are just dying. And why are they dying? Well, very similar to Superman's story. Um, the uh, remains of the planet are caught in the uh, the wake of the spaceship and are brought like a comet's tail to Earth. And so it's uh, gigantite. Uh, it's orange gigantite from exploded gigantia. And so they all die. Um now, remember how I said, you know, his costume got torn by that monster? Well, apparently also while he was under the red sun, he took the time to repair his cape um, during his escape, I guess. I don't know. But he puts a replica of his torn cape up in the Fortress of Solitude to remember this event. And yeah, it's ridiculous. And I think it's kind of crazy. Just the passing mention, an H-bomb doesn't even work. That happened. But um, the concept of the reverse arc that's kind of a fun, a fun direction to go in. I mean, it's not fun, fun because it's, you know, totally about, um, you know, the, the annihilation of complete worlds. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, a, it's not quite a throwaway story, but it's, it's very close. Um, you know, when it's done, everything's back to normal, except Metropolis was desolated and completely eaten by these insects and has to be rebuilt before next issue. Um, and also there's the radiation from the H bomb that was dropped on metropolis. That's also going to have to be taken care of. But, uh, beyond that, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's an interesting story. And as a kid, just, I remember reading this the first time and I, I just remember the feelings of what's going to happen. How's he going to take care of this? And the other thing I remember is this Superman does not look like my Superman. And what I mean by that is, um, this is, I think probably the first time I ever came in contact with, uh, Kurt Swan's, uh, artwork. And I know he is a classic, you know, amazing um, fan favorite artist. But for me as a kid, uh, his facial expressions just didn't didn't quite work. And he didn't quite, you know, his body type didn't. It wasn't Christopher Reeve. I mean, let's let's face it. That's what it wasn't. Um, and it wasn't quite, uh, you know, animated Superman. And the Superman comics I remembered having as a kid looked more like what the cover image is. Uh, here from that, you know, that 70s era, you know, late 70s, early 80s era of Superman. So anyway, that was Superman trapped by the super creatures. And it was fun, a fun return, a fun return back in time. And that's why we do the comic book time machine is to go back in time to these things that um, so, some of them are things that we never experienced. And it's fun to go back in time and experience them. But some of them like this, it's so much fun to just go back in time and re-experience. So next up, it's Green Lantern versus the Leap Year Menace. In 1915, the world went to war. Nations in Europe met across muddy fields in a conflict that stretched across empires across the world. This is in history books. John Adams' story of the First World War is found in the letters he wrote back home to his mother. John Adams' Letters from the Front podcast presents these letters a hundred years after they were written. Follow John Adams' story through joining the army, training and deployment on the Western Front, through his hopes and fears, frustrations and injuries, we see the personal side of a global conflict. You can find John Adams' Personal Journey podcast every month 
on johnadams.org.uk forward slash letters or on iTunes under John Adams Letters from the Front podcast. These are his words, read by his grandchildren and narrated by his great-grandchildren. Okay, so more time has passed than I thought uh, was going to pass. Uh, minutes became hours, and hours became a day. <laughs> and so, but here I am. You know, that's that's what happens. You're working at camp. You know, you get interrupted by things, and things call your attention, and uh, and then you have family stuff, swimming with the kids. You know, blah blah blah. You know how it goes when you're working at a camp. Uh, maybe you don't know how it goes when you're working at a camp. Uh, so I'm telling you now, this is how it goes when you're working at a camp. So anyway. Um, you know, I just have another minute here to read this story here. And, uh, and, um, so the next segment actually might be another, you know, uh, hours rather than minutes, maybe days rather than hours. I, I, I don't know. This might end up going home with me, but that's okay because this is just, this is, this is comfort food, man. This here is comfort food. Um, not great comfort food. It's, uh, misogynistic comfort food, maybe. Um, and it's kind of disturbing comfort food, uh, but it was fun to revisit, you know, my childhood. And that's where the comfort comes from the comfort food that I'm talking about. Um, basically, I mean, the story is this, the age old story of, uh, superheroes and their secret identities and the love triangle that happens with only two people. But one of those people is two people, and the other person is one person, and that equals three people, and that makes the triangle. In this case, it's Hal Jordan, Carol Ferris, and Green Lantern. And Carol Ferris intends to use Leap Year to pop the question to Green Lantern. And Hal Jordan doesn't want her to do this because Hal Jordan wants to win her. That's that's his words. Uh, as Hal Jordan, not as Green Lantern. Uh, meanwhile, he's also being chased by... Um, kind of a Beatlemania-esque group of uh, Green Lantern fan club members. All these girls are just chasing him down and pulling his arms, and he has to fly away from them and and stuff like that. Well, they figure into the end of the story very importantly. Uh, those are the young ladies. Now, the older ladies, the um, Coast City Community Chest, they're having a fundraiser he's going to speak at and he you know okay those are all the details we don't care about the details all we care about is is what's going to happen here why is he going to create a monster and that's what happens here the leap year menace is a monster of his own creation and why does that happen well carol tracks him down and it's leap year so women can ask the men to get you know to get hitched and uh, she's going to take that to full advantage and in a park on a bench, uh, and I remember this so vividly, uh, there's two kids playing with their toy airplane in the park and, and they're sitting there together and, and, uh, Green Lantern is trying to avoid the question and change the subject as much as possible. And it's just not working. And so this is what he says he has to do. Um, he, you know, he tries to say he's sick. He tries to say, I can't hear you because of the model airplane. And, uh, the model airplane gains him a, a moment to think. He says, I've gained a moment's time, but I've got to do some something drastic or she'll come out with it again. Uh, wait a second. I have an idea. And so then he activates his ring and he's thinking, I've never used my ring to create a menace, but that's what I need now. A chiller diller menace that I'll have to combat and give me a legitimate reason to get away from here and Carol. And so then he creates that creature, this creature that... um struck me so vividly wearing the red trunks looking like a troll with these mutton chops hanging off the sides of his face. And he's kind of got a, a beak rather than a, a real mouth. And he's got pointy ears and, uh, and he, he, his arms are elongated kind of, you know, gorilla like. And so he's, they're dragging along the ground. And this guy, this poor creature is sentient. It thinks. So he creates this creature with his ring and then, the plane, the toy plane hits him in the back of the head and knocks out Green Lantern. He falls off the bench and now Carol has to take him to the hospital. <laughs> and, um, meanwhile, the monster is is just kind of walking through the city and uh, and he's thinking. So this is what the monster thinks as he's walking downtown. Strange. I know I'm a chiller diller, but what? That means, or what I'm supposed to do, I don't know, but this place is full of odd-looking creatures, and they're all running away from him. As soon as they see me, they run away as if they don't like me. Well, if they won't like me, I won't like them. 
And he accidentally knocks a building over and the people are going after him and the army is coming after him. And <laughs> he continues his inner monologue. I don't like it here. There's too much noise in this place. I've got to get away. Uh. And he knocks over a statue. And that's when the army comes and starts shooting him with tanks. <laughs> and he, he actually quotes. Uh, well, he says, must be some way out of this place. Uh, said the Joker to the thief, but I'm I'm not going to sing the song. Uh, but actually, this is no longer inner monologue. He is speaking out loud. More noise. How do those little creatures stand this noise? And then he goes into the water. Ugh, odd. I can't walk on this liquid matter. I'll take this roadway over the liquid. He climbs on a bridge. He's walking along. They're following him. And meanwhile, Green Lantern is in the hospital and he wakes up and he remembers, holy smokes. And so he flies away and and flies just as this thing is going toward the nuclear stockpiles. I mean, so we've got this kind of theme running here, uh, the theme being uh, nuclear accidents and also um, keeping your secret identity away from the girl that you love who loves you in your secret identity. So he flies away from the doctor's office and in the very nick of time, that's what it says. And in the very nick of time, he just flies and just blasts the head of the creature, just shoots the head of the creature. Uh, there's this kind of splat looking and uh, in the neck area and this creature, which is thinking thoughts and trying to get away and just wants to be left alone that he created. He promptly kills just dead. And that's it. Yep. That's the end of the creature, but not the end of the story, because what? how does he get out of this? How does he get out of this mess with Carol? Well, as the Green Lantern fan club mobs him after everything's done, they are all asking him to marry them. And so he says, sorry, girls, I, I just can't marry you all, so I'll marry none. And then he thinks, that settles my problem for a while. And Carol watches him fly away and says, well, what a way to squirm out of my proposal. And that's the story. <laughs> I forgot how the story went. And I certainly did not remember the creature having thoughts until I was reading this. And I'm like, wait, I do remember that. And it's so tragic. It's just sad. Like he creates this creature, which actually is just just not it's not even trying to hurt anyone. It's, it realizes it understands it's supposed to be a, quote, chiller diller. But this chiller diller doesn't do anything on purpose. And it's just this misunderstood creature. And, you know, normally the misunderstood creature trope, I guess, does end in tragedy. Uh, but in this case, the tragedy is just Green Lantern just just up and flies and, and shoots his head off. And that's the end of that. <laughs> yes, I mean, granted, he has now saved the city from uh, having the nuclear stockpiles get, you know, destroyed. But, yeah. <laughs> that's it's just it's just sad and ridiculous and um i mean i appreciate it now i think in a different way but i i do remember kind of a melancholy feeling as i was reading this and reading especially when i realized wait a minute this thing is thinking wait a minute this thing isn't trying to hurt anyone i remember a, mel a melancholy feeling reading this as a kid and so yeah comfort food yeah i guess but <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah. So that brings us to another one that I remember just having a melancholy feeling, the the big house of monsters. And that's the war that time forgot with the monsters. And I can't wait to read this one because I remember being really, really struck by this one. There was just something really striking about it. I don't remember exactly what was striking about it. I just remember dinosaurs, machine guns, soldiers. And um, yeah, from there, though, I, I don't remember much. So Let's dive into the big house of monsters. It's midnight, the podcasting hour. Hello, listeners. It's your friend, PJ Frightful. That's PJ as in podcast jockey. And I'm dropping dreadful new episodes every two weeks. When the clock strikes midnight, the podcasting hour shines a candle on the dark corners of DC Comics. Those supernatural sagas of Swamp Thing, Dead Man, The Spectre, and more. The podcasting hour. 
It's a rotating anthology series boasting the terrifying talents of Ryan Daly, Rob Kelly, Paul Hicks, Ben Avery, Doug Zavisha, and other unfortunate souls. Prepare for the unexpected, open a doorway to nightmare, and enter the houses of mystery and secrets. The moon is full, and the dark spirits are rising. For it's midnight, the podcasting hour. Coming this Halloween, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Beware. The Big House of Monsters by Bob Kaniger and Russ Heath. Russ Heath was the artist on this thing. And that's what was striking about this. They're actually, I mean, everything is striking about this. This comes from Star Spangled War Stories number 132, and it's reprinted here. And um, it's glorious. This is such a great, great story. Um, I mean, the art, the war artwork is is just brutal and 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 tough and and striking. And and then so you have that, and then you also have the dinosaur artwork and the creature artwork and the battle between the the soldiers and 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 the creatures and yeah. And here's the other thing I remember being striking about this, and that's the kind of nihilistic ending. Um, and so, you know, when I read this, I, I think I was, I don't know, um, I must've been six or seven when I got this. I, I'm pretty sure I wasn't, I know I wasn't two, which is when this came out. Um, and I'm pretty sure I wasn't four or five. And, but I do remember rereading this over, over the years and just appreciating it every time. Uh, it starts out with a splash page, just like every story in this, uh, in this entire edition starts with a splash page. And, and this splash page has a, a, t-rex uh biting on a rubber raft and and they're shooting at it there's these two guys and the one guy says if that monster tears up our rubber raft we'll never get off this island nick and you'll never take me back to the big house hey eh, copper says the other guy and then the caption says there was a black page on the youthful cop's record and the crafty gunman had put it there now despite a war he had a chance to clear himself until fate put him and the gunman ashore in the big house of monsters and so here's the idea this make a fantastic movie i think um Basically, a while ago, uh, let's see, Nick, it's Nick and Jackie. Uh, Nick is the criminal. Jack is the, the, uh, the cop. And Jack is about to take Jack, uh, Nick in, and he, he re- refuses a bribe. But then the train derails, and Nick escapes. But before he escapes, he and his buddies plant money on Jack, so he gets in trouble. Uh, and his clear record as a good cop is is completely uh, destroyed by that because it looks like he took a bribe. And, of course, he didn't. So then um, Nick escapes. He's free. Uh, and Jack joins the army. And so we get a you know kind of a, a montage of him doing army stuff, fighting in World War II in the Pacific Theater. And he gets captured. But lo and behold, you know who else was in the army? Nick. And you know who else gets captured and ends up in the same prisoner of war camp? Nick. And then they escape together. They escape together to a raft that Jack had hidden with ammo and guns and stuff a long time ago. And then they find themselves in an area that is covered in mist and they're attacked by a great big giant lobster. And so there's just such... There, there's just uh, there's so much motion and energy in, in what's going on here. And um, as the lobster attacks and picks Nick up and and Jack saves him with a grenade and Nick falls into the water and Jack grabs him by the hair and pulls him back up onto the raft. And, and then Nick punches Jack and pulls a gun on him. And um, so they, they've got this impasse going on and they end up on an island and the island has these fantastic looking dinosaurs. And when I say fantastic, I mean that they are literally fantastic. They're fantasy dinosaurs. There's a brontosaurus with giant fangs and there's, um, there's a, a, tri- a triceratops with opposable thumbs kind of thing. And so they kind of are surviving together and, and that's, you know, they have this uneasy truce, but Nick is not going to uphold his end of the truce. If anything happens to Jack, he's going to let it happen. And so they're just kind of keeping their eye on each other. And, and there's just these fantastic images of these fantastic dinosaurs uh, just throughout the whole thing. Uh, it ends, though, and, and this is what I remember. This really struck me. Um, it ends because Jack gets pulled from the raft as they're trying to escape the island uh, by an, opt- an octopus. And Nick just lets it happen. And then he goes back to the island and realizes that he is he has not escaped. 
Um, he gets there and he's, now I'm all alone. The copper's gone and I'm here with the monsters. Wonder how long they, I can fight them off alone. Wonder how long I can keep out of their claws. I didn't get away at all. I'm in a big house, a big house of monsters. And I'm starting to serve my sentence now. The joke's on me. And just the look of terror on his face. This is, this is just a great story. Just a fun, great story. Yes, nihilistic, uh, you know, and it's all about, um, you know, basically you reap what you sow, you know, this guy lived a life of crime and lived a life, a dishonorable life and finds himself alone in a world that he cannot survive in without help. And if he would have just allowed, uh, Jack to, uh, survive, then he would probably be able to survive long enough to go to prison. Um, and so the question would be, which is a better prison for him? This one here where he has these monsters encro encroaching in on him and he's have, he has to fight them off and he's running out of ammo and grenades and stuff. Well, you know, the world will never know what would be better for him because this is where he's stuck. And I love it. Yes, I call it comfort food and again, kind of nihilistic comfort food, I guess, in this case. But uh, this story, this is still just really part of my sensibilities. And I'm wondering like how much this story helped uh, maybe um, guide my sensibilities as they are right now. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I love monsters though. And this one definitely fits into that mold. And uh, it, it's just great, great, great stuff. And the, the, again, the artwork, I cannot talk about enough just um, as they're running and as they're shooting, as the dinosaurs are, you know, um, fighting each other and attacking them. And, and it's just, just a great, great little comic story. And really it's, it's just a lot of fun. I think I've gushed about this perhaps enough. It's time now for Shazam presents the Marvel family reaches eternity. And uh, I'm going to give that a read and then come back and, and be done. Although I might talk about some of these ads because there's a lot of ads in here that as I'm reading along, I'm like, I remember studying these ads too. <laughs> I, mean, I, I would read these stories, but I remember just uh, taking a look at these advertisements and just uh, loving what's, what's being advertised. And one of the advertisements is for, um, just a bunch of DC uh, merchandise. And there's a super friends car with Batman, Robin, Superman, and Aquaman and Aquaman's driving. It looks like he's driving the car as Superman and Batman stand on the back of it. And that's, that's kind of fun. And then the other one, if I can find it here, it's a great ad that really had me intrigued. And it was something I never got a chance to read until I was an adult, but I definitely wanted to read it. And that was, this says it all. And it shows the cover of Superman versus the amazing Spider-Man, the battle of the century, the greatest superhero team up of all time. Reserve your copy, order it today. Well, I never did. And if I did, <laughs> I don't think I would have gotten it because it would have been a few years late, but there's also a, uh, um, public service announcement about Superman and graffiti and, you know, owning up to the bad things you've done. And there's a really stupid Twinkie one about how it's just Penguin says, I'm going to steal all the Twinkies. And Batman's like, no, you're not. I, mean, I caught you. And Penguin's like, ah, okay, fine. Let's go. It's just kind of dumb. So anyway, time for the world's mightiest family battling the three evils. <laughs> Xenozoic Xenophiles. A fan podcast devoted to the comic series Xenozoic Tales. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren. Please join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in this excellent comic series from writer and artist Mark Schultz. Special episodes feature interviews with Mark Schultz himself discussing Xenozoic Tales and his other comics. Listen at Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit XenozoicXenophiles.com. Xenozoic Xenophiles is part of the Rad Adventures Network at RadAdventuresNetwork.com. Yeah, okay. So I should have ended on uh, the war that time forgot, but um, instead I went to the Marvel Family. This, is, this uh, story is from Marvel Family number seven, and yeah, this one, I was... I remembered it being a lot better. 
So, uh, you know how it goes. Um, yeah. Okay. So here's, here's what happens. Um, Shazam presents the Marvel family reaches eternity. And then it says, where is eternity? And where is the strange rock of eternity on which old Shazam, the ancient Egyptian wizard inscribes the records of the incomparable Marvel family, join captain Marvel, Mary Marvel and captain Marvel jr. On a Marvel family adventure, just as they reach the end of space and time and battle, all evil rolled into one frightful form. And so what happens is they, uh, they find out that something's wrong, that, uh, something's wrong, because uh, there's a guy trying to sell the ancient book of Shazam to a bookshop. And Billy Batson just happens to be there when the guy's trying to do that. So he changes into Shazam, punches the guy out, gives the guy to the police and says, trust me, uh, this guy stole something and I'm going to take care of it. And so Captain Marvel is going to take the book and the police officer takes the, the crook. And, and the police officer says, anything you say, Captain Marvel. Um, and that's that because that's how the law works in America. So anyway – <laughs> they go to find the the wizard and the wizard's not there and they they try to call him he he doesn't come and why is this happening well uh, the reason it didn't that uh, the, the wizard couldn't come is because evil is trapped under the giant rock of eternity which is this giant um mountain that has his castle on top of it and uh the evil literally is embodied in this kind of um oafish uh hairy werewolf tubby guy um he's really kind of i don't know not 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 very evil looking but he he's evil and uh he divided himself into three see evil becomes three things three things uh terror wickedness and sin and so these three things uh split up and they're together they were strong enough to lift the rock of eternity which they were trapped underneath and then they go and they steal pandora's box which is what the wizard was checking on when he couldn't be called and and so the the three evils uh they they split well they 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 bounce back between one and three and three and one and uh some sort of i don't know maybe it's now that i think of it just kind of an odd uh an odd take on the the Trinity from um, Christian theology, but eh, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, that's why the wizard created three Marvel family members because of the three evils. So they could destroy and stop uh, sin and terror and wickedness. So uh, they, they got to the rock of eternity by reading the book and finding out that if you pass the speed of light, you'll pass into this place where eternity is. And so these evil things are going to try and, also pass the speed of light and go to where they can spread their evilness. And it's as simple as this though, for the Marvel family, uh, captain Marvel flies faster than the monster and tracks him down to a planet and then punches him and wins. Uh, and captain Marvel jr. Uh, they're flying and the evil, I don't know which one he's chasing, but, um, it's terror is who he's chasing and terror. Just like there's a meteor coming. He gets out of the way right in the last minute and it hits captain Marvel jr and uh it breaks and so then captain marvel jr just punches him and knocks him out and that's it and then on another planet uh the, the last one uh evil himself lands and he has pandora's box and that's actually then at this point i'm like this is pretty juvenile this is not very good but it gets a little interesting here just a little not enough for me to really like it but it gets a little bit interesting because mary marvel actually has to deal with um something beyond just being able to punch the guy. Uh, he opens Pandora's box and lets out one of the uh, hornets from Pandora's box and it stings her. And when it stings her, she has to say Shazam and she turns back into Mary and he ties her up and he gags her and he um, has her on this planet and he's going to go and, uh, and, but the bug that he, the hornet that he let out flies around him and throws him off balance and his foot catches on the ropes. She's able to get her, uh, the uh the gag off of her mouth and she's able to say shazam changes into mary marvel punches him and it's all done and then they return they make them form back into one they throw them back under the rock of eternity and they're weakened it they it is weakened enough that he won't be able to get out for thousands of years and by then they'll have figured out something new to do with him to make sure he never ever escapes ever again and that's the end of the story 
that's it. Um, so it does get a little interesting. I, I like the idea of, you know, he lets out the hornet and it's the hornet that causes his undoing, but it's just ridiculous. And, you know, kind of like the Superman story, um, it just kind of feels like, and then this happens, and then this happens, and this, you know, like the way a kid tells a story. Oh, and then it splits up into three, and then they go three different ways, and Captain Marvel chases him and punches him and wins. Captain Marvel Jr. chases him and punches him and wins, and then and then Mary Marvel and uh, I, oh, but he lets out a, a hornet for Mary Marvel, but then uh, then then he falls over and and he she gets untied and and then she gets him and punches him and wins, and it just feels kind of. Not kind of. It feels it feels very juvenile. Um, so this is a very interesting mixed bag. These uh, these four stories, um, and you know they're they're all interesting in their own way. And in some ways, I think that they're also kind of uh, uh, well, time capsules, uh, time machines in their own right of just these the storytelling sensibilities of comics at the time. Uh, the Green Lantern one, just man, it, it just it cracks me up just because of how wrong it is. Um, and I don't even think it realized how wrong it was until, you know, as we're looking at it now. But, um, yeah, they this was so much fun, so much fun. And so I'm, I'm glad to have shared it with you. I hope that you had a, a fun time uh, allowing me to enjoy a little glimpse back through a window in time, back into my childhood. And, uh, you know, this one did not come from, from the, uh, the stoppy shoppy that I used to go to as a kid. Um, no, this one came from the mall. But, uh, yeah, this was hefty. It was great. It was as a kid, I enjoyed it and I enjoyed it now. So that is this episode of the comic book time machine. Thank you so much for listening. The podcast promos that I played are all podcasts that I appreciate and listen to and have, um, in some cases actually had a chance to be a part of as well, but, um, they're all podcasts that I recommend that you check out. Uh, the quarter bin podcast is, is a great one. Um, the, uh, midnight, the podcasting hour, um, it comes out more sporadically now, but, uh, it's still, there's some really good episodes there. And so, yeah, I just, um, I, I recommend them to you. And so I hope you go and check them out. And, uh, all that said, I just want to say again, thanks for spending your time with me as we talked about this fun, fun comic, this fun trip back in time for me. And, uh, until next time, uh, enjoy reading your comics and Godspeed.